Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but they all have captivating stories to tell. Today, we're talking with Minnesota trial judge Kevin Burke about negative public perceptions of our courts, especially among people of color. He says judges need to do a better job with procedural fairness, making sure everyone feels that they're being treated fairly and that people understand what a judge does in court and why. You talk about public perception of our judicial system as being unfair and one that provides unequal treatment. That's been a long-standing perception, has it not? Oh, yes. For most of the history of the state and federal courts in the United States, um, we in the judiciary know about this problem of the perception of fairness in the court system. It can go back to the populist days in which the belief was that the uh, courts were just owned by the railroad companies and the oil companies, to the present issues in which there's a great skepticism about the fairness of the court system by communities of color. I think the difference uh, now is uh, increasingly more courts are now saying, in order to fix this, we need to actually measure this. And we have the capability now to really understand uh, with data that uh, we have a problem. And so I think that uh, to use almost the uh, chemical dependency uh, phrase, the first step towards recovery is to admit you have a problem. And I think that the court systems of the United States need to admit they have a problem in uh, litigants and people who use the courts feeling like they were treated fairly. Now, in defense of courts, um, I think that part of the problem is, at least on the data issue, has been we can't agree what the word fair means. So one way to look at fair is who won, and um, it's pretty hard to end up saying, well, the plaintiffs won 62% of the time in the Cleveland courts, or the Prosecution won 72% of the time in Cook County, Illinois, and that's any measure of anything. Right? So you're right. going to have winners and losers. 
Second way you could look at fairness is a, a defining it is, did I get what I deserved? And on that issue, judges can influence that perception. So if if you just don't give any explanation as to why you did something, you're kind of at risk to ending up creating uh, erroneous perceptions or good ones. And I'll give you this example. The first guy comes up to me, and he's charged with a noisy party at the University of Minnesota, and he pleads guilty, and I know, because my computer has told me, he's never been here before. Uh, the, uh, so I say, the fine's $100, and he goes away, that's fine. Second guy comes up, he pleads guilty, same thing. Except he's in there all of the time, he's been here five or six times in the last six months, but he's also African-American. Now, I've got a legitimate reason for saying the fine is more than the first guy, because you do it, you've been doing it a lot. But if I don't explain that, then I fine him $400. Uh, the people in the audience could say, well, you know, the only reason that guy got it uh, fined $400 was he's black. The defendant himself might think it's okay, because they, you know, that's about you know what I've been getting the last three times I got charged. The next guy comes up, he has no idea what the judge is going to do. So explanations make a big difference. And, in, and regrettably, in a lot of big urban courts, too many judges have kind of gotten into the idea of, I've got to get through the docket. I've got to get through the calendar. I've got to get through all these people. So I don't have the time to explain what I'm doing. And that's a problem. Well, judges le- judges are in fact rewarded, are they not, with uh, for having clean dockets and fast right. dockets? Yeah, and- I, yeah. I think that it, it, that has been. I am not in favor of slowing the system down, but I don't believe the idea of clean dockets and good explanations are there, uh, are an either or proposition. Okay. Right? So even if you took my, the example that I gave you is, second guy comes up and I said, you know, you've been here a number of times with this. And he says, yeah. And I said, that's why your fine's $400. Now I've taken care of the problem in like 15 seconds. Right? So I think the difficulty, what we know about uh, when we study judges is that they're very preoccupied, understandably, with I got the the ruling correct, but they're weak on explanations. And then it, this actually goes up to not just trial judges, but throughout the system. And I'll give you this example. If you read what I think is one of the most important cases in the history of the American judiciary, Brown versus Board of Education, it was so short just, uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren wanted to make sure that the opinion entirely could be printed in newspapers throughout the country so that the people in the United States understood what the Supreme Court was standing for. Really an important decision. Now you go forward and you say, well, the Affordable Health Care Act, Obamacare, goes to the United States Supreme Court. It's two or three hundred pages worth of orders. No one's going to read that. If you look at the Iowa Supreme Court 
in 2010 that said uh, the right to gay marriage was protected under the Iowa Constitution, the opinion was 90 pages long. Now, it's true that unlike Brown, uh, where there was no Internet, there's an ability for people to find these decisions. But, you know, the bottom line is nobody's going to read 90 pages. Right. And they might read five, but they're not going to read 90. So our ability, uh, part of what fairness is, is judges in the United States at every level have to be concerned about their ability to explain in understandable terms to the American public what we're doing. And if you can't, or some judges won't, then your point is that adds to the perception of unfairness. Oh, yeah. And I think it is. It's that somewhat trite or overused phrase. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We need to be very candid about where the American public sees courts right now. The United States Supreme Court has the lowest uh, approval rate in the history of polling. 75% of the people believe that judges make their decisions based on personal or political views. Uh, There's a a pretty deep distrust in many places um, by communities of color as to whether or not the court system's gonna be fair to them. Now, some of it I think is driven because they're quite uh, dissatisfied with the fairness of the police, and they see the judges as just an extension of that. But the bottom line is that's not an excuse for us in being the judges. We've got a responsibility to make sure that communities of color are in fact treated fairly and that they perceive that they're being treated fairly. And some of these things then are... um, What we know is people coming into court want the opportunity to tell their story. You know, it's important to people. Courthouses that are really intimidating places are not places where people will explain what they want. Sometimes if you look at a criminal case, it could be as simple as they really want to say that they were sorry. They really want to say, Judge, I'm never going to come back here. And that's an important thing for them to say. And if their attitude is this judge doesn't want to listen to me, isn't uh, paying attention, is on the bench, and there's a bunch of computers up there and you can't even see him or see her, that's a bad situation, and it needs to stop. So part of the element of fairness is having people uh, understand or perceive that they're being heard. Right. And and not just uh, uh, tokenly heard, right. but actually heard. Right. And see, the interesting thing about the uh, research in this area is the same uh, issue is true about doctors. Doctors who have a very gruff attitude, who are... Uh, are Uh, with their patients actually have a higher risk they'll be sued for medical malpractice. Doctors who end up having a patient have confidence in them and stuff learn more from the patient about what is wrong with them and they're better at diagnosing and treating illnesses. 
patients who believe that their doctor are sincerely interested in caring about them are much more likely to follow the doctor's advice. Patients who understand why the doctor is telling you to do this are much more likely to follow the doctor's advice. Now, judges aren't doctors. I'm not saying it's a completely uh, transferable attitude, but the bottom line is in many courts, we are. So in areas where, like family court, where you're dealing with parents who are squabbling over their kids, uh, it's not just a legal question. It's a question of trying to uh, get parents to understand that their behavior in fighting about the future of their kid can actually be destructive to their kid. Um, We know that um, in communities of color, we can't afford to get any less uh, confidence in the justice system than we we presently have. It it, it will manifest itself in a lot of ways. I'll give you an example. How so? Communities of color in some parts of the country don't show up for jury duty because they see the system as illegitimate so that their percentage of people who show up is less. The defendants want to have a jury that's representative of uh, communities of color. And so you've got communities of color not showing up for jury duty and defendants who are uh, persons of color wanting to have a jury that reflects what they are and it's not happening. So you can end up with, like, this is silly, um, and yet it's quite understandable. If you really think that the system is illegitimate or you have such skepticism about it, you don't participate. So um, I think where courts need to be thinking is there's no question we have many challenges by volume, but volume is our strength of our judiciary, not our weakness. If we end up serving the people who come into court well and their experience is is good, we know from good, solid research they're much more likely to obey our orders and they're much more likely to convince people they too need to participate. So it would be you get a letter that says you've got jury duty and you ask a friend and the friend says, of course you got to go. This is really important. That's where we want to we want to get to and we're not there now. We'll be back after this message. This program's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. The Scripps faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing media environment. The Scripps College of Communication is one of the most comprehensive colleges of communication in the country and was named a Center of Excellence in Ohio in 2010. 
It's proud to showcase the Stephen L. Schoonover Center for Communication, the brand new facility that opened in 2015. State-of-the-art laboratory spaces and flipped classrooms are just two of the many features in this new building. Learn more about the Scripps College of Communication at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Your uh, concept of procedural fairness, uh, you also claim that it has an impact on recidivism or people coming yeah, back to the Yeah, there's court. no question. It, 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 um, we'll start with the first kind of thing, which is uh, the assumption by many people, many judges, is that when people don't obey, obey a judge's order— that they made a conscious decision not to do it. Right? right. So there was a poll that was done by the National Center for State Courts. It's now a, a decade or more old, but the point will be is there. Forty uh, percent of the American public believe that judges' orders are not understandable. Okay. So if the order isn't understandable, then it may very well be that it isn't that you didn't do what I wanted you to do. You just didn't understand what I wanted you to do. Very few courts actually regularly uh, measure whether or not people coming into court leave understanding what happened. Uh, so we actually, in the, in the court when I was chief judge, did a study in which we interviewed defendants coming out of domestic violence cases five minutes after the case, asking if they understood why the bail decision was made and what it was and why, what the sentence was, and do you know why the judge did what they did? Several judges actually got 100%. That's pretty good. It can be achieved. But a few got 90, a few got 80. One judge who had a very good reputation she, 40% of the people within five minutes couldn't explain why uh, or what the order was or why it was issued. Wow. All of them got written orders. So the assumption in my court at the time was if I put it in writing, they'll understand it. And it turned out it, it really didn't make any difference. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't give people written uh, orders or uh, written explanations, but we need to be very attuned to the fact that people need to leave courthouses understanding what we're asking them to do and why we're asking them to do it. Let me ask from a judge's point of view. Uh, you and I have been talking about perceptions of fairness, mm -hmm. and when we talk about perceptions, I think uh, – Sometimes that's a loaded word, and uh, my experience talking to many judges, are, their attitude is, you know, I can't, I can't control somebody's perception. Somebody's perceptions are always going to be negative if, if, if they lose. So perceptions are not reality. I'm doing everything that I need to do, and yeah. I can't help how they perceive it. How, how do you? Okay, well, how that, do you see, react I, to I that? don't, I don't, I don't agree with. 
any of the premises of what you're saying. So, but do you hear that from judges? Oh, I, I, I do. Um, but if I if I if you give me 45 minutes with them, <laughs> I can pretty much convince them that they're wrong. Okay. Right? Okay. So you start off with this is um, the the that the idea is look, I don't have a responsibility to build trust in the system. I just need to issue orders. Uh, is a bad attitude. Um, our country is quite divided now, and I'm not. I don't mean this in a uh, taking one side or the other of the polarized nation that we live in. But we we in the judiciary need to recognize of the three branches of government, we are historically the weakest, and we need to end up making sure that the public trusts what's happening in the judiciary. So these attitudes about people leaving the courthouse and we don't care what their perception of us is highly dangerous. Uh, The only reason that we exist as strong as we do is because there has been, built over decades, some reservoir of support for the judiciary, but it's eroding. So when I say, look, the United States Supreme Court is is viewed weakest in since they polled. Seventy five percent of the American people in one poll said uh, they believe to a moderate or significant extent judges make their decisions just based on their own personal or political views. So it's not about a rule of law. Uh, only about sixty percent of the American public believe that our courts are fair. That's a pretty weak number. And it's less when it comes to communities of color. When you have those kinds of numbers, you have to end up saying, as a judge, i got to do something about this. I can't let this get worse. And I believe that if these principles of procedural fairness are followed, there's some opportunity for us to change people's attitudes about the judiciary. I may not be able to fix the whole country, I may not be able to fix the attitudes towards the executive and legislative branch, but I have a responsibility to do something to improve courts. Some of the figures you've cited uh, have been around for a while. I know the first survey done by the National Center for State Courts back in in the 80s came up with public perceptions being very similar to what they are today. So we've had we in the judiciary have had a long period of time to rectify this, yet it seems to be getting worse. Why have we not been able to address this until now? Well, I think part of the reason is that uh, most of the judges in the United States are trained as lawyers. And uh, lawyers tend to think as an advocate, so when you're looking at trial lawyers, is did I win or did I lose? And they they define fairness really as I won, I lost. Fact of the matter is, most of us have not been exposed to hard social science that looks at this stuff. There's an intuitive feeling about it, but some judges I think have been quite oblivious to it. so I think there are a myriad of reasons as to why we haven't ended up being better. Uh, but the, when I'm in court, in fact, I, I said this to somebody in court yesterday, is 
I know after 32 years on the bench that I can't change history, but I have the opportunity to influence the future. And so I think that where judges need to be is I can't change history, but I can influence the future. And I have a responsibility to try to do that so that the day that I retire as a judge, I have actually made the system better than it was on the day that I started. Judge, uh, your solution to this and what you've proposed uh, to many organizations, and I know you travel around the country trying to educate judges, is this whole idea of procedural fairness. But let's break that down a little bit. Uh, I've read that it's voice, it's neutrality, it's respectful treatment, uh, engendering trust, sort of flesh out what you mean by okay, procedural well, so fairness. So let's start with voice. Yeah. What we know about people who come into courts, uh, so there's lots of data on this, is that people come into court wanting to win, but they realize it's a human process. And so that they're more willing to accept loss than you might uh, think. But they have a very compelling need to say, I want to make sure the person, the judge, the decision maker, understands and hears what I have to say. If I can, if they feel like they, uh, that I as a judge, uh, heard what they have to say and they lose, they aren't going to be excited they lost, but they're more willing to accept the loss and obey the order. And so it'd be something, it seems like it's trite, but, you know, that judge didn't even listen to me. It, it, it's the beginning of the excuse as to why I don't have to follow the order. Right. Okay? The judge listened to me. I understood why the judge did it. I'm disappointed, but I'm okay with that. Now, one of the things that then you end up having to deal with voice then is you have to be careful that the court system is a very intimidating place. It's intimidating for some lawyers. It's extremely intimidating for people who aren't lawyers. So I need to end up figuring out ways to end up saying that intimidation is a uh, thing that we're, we got to be careful about. What intimidation does is it inhibits somebody's willingness to speak up because they're afraid it can also give you false positives. So, for example, if you appeared before me and I sentenced you to do A, B, and C, and I say, do you understand, and you respond, yes, it could be that you do understand. It also could be uh, you, don't, you just want to get out of there because this is really intimidating. I just want out of here. And so you say yes, and I go away thinking, yeah, uh, Tom felt like he understood. He told me he understood. He had no idea what he was supposed to do. He just wanted out of there. If I ended up saying, now you t tell me what I, you got to do now. What are the three things I told you? Now I actually get some feedback, and he, he says, well, I'm, I'm not exactly sure about the second one, but the first one's this. Now I've really made sure that the person understood what they're supposed to do. So that voice thing is, I need to make sure people are willing to speak up, feel comfortable in speaking up, feel comfortable in asking questions, 
that increases the prospect that um, they're going to uh, obey your order and feel better about the system. Second one about respect and trust really, in some respects, blend in together because they really they're, they're darn close, to be honest with you. Uh, the intimidation is a problem. Uh, trust is earned, not a given. So the idea that I put on a black robe and come out in front of a bunch of people in a courtroom, they're going to trust me just because I'm a judge isn't true anymore. Uh, I needed to figure out ways to deal with this. So if you end up saying, uh, I'm going to, uh, the law tells me this is what I have to do. Maybe I should actually pick up a statute book and read it to the person briefly. This is what the legislature said, and I'll read it for you. And I've got a book that's a, so it kind of looks like, uh, um, the judge really has thought about this. Uh, you you have to be careful about making sure I got to move through all of these cases, but I also need to end up saying, did the judge seem to have his or her mind made up before I even spoke? Right. So you got to be you know a little bit careful about somebody gives you this emotional thing about uh, the reason I didn't pay my fine is uh, I ended up homeless but I got my child support payment in and they're kind of going all over is I don't care. You're going to jail. Well, you know, the bottom line is I don't care. You're going to jail is not only going to affect that person's perception of the system. It affects everybody else in the courtroom. And so you could just be a courtroom observer. You say, you know, this system is corrupt. Yeah. So judge, uh, Last question. I know you're, you're trying, you're, you're out there really trying to preach this to other judges everywhere. Mm-hmm. Do, do you see hope? Do you see change? Well, I do. Is, is um, In the last decade where I've spent a lot of time speaking around the country, I, I really ended up with some pushback a decade ago where I don't have the time to do this. Uh, that's not my job was a much more frequent retort to what I had to say. Um, I, I was in, in Illinois uh, earlier this week speaking to 77 new judges in Illinois. Not a single person there said that's not my job. They're really interested in um, skill-based how to deal with this. So... How do I end up, this goes back to our voice thing, how do I end up allowing somebody some opportunity to explain but kind of keep them uh, focused? Because, you know, one of the other things that when you're intimidated is you just get motor mouth. (laughs) And so um, trying to end up saying, you know, can I gently say, I know this is really important to you, but the law doesn't let me consider whatever it is that you're talking about. I know this is really important to you, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm in an awkward position because the legislature says I can't consider that. Oh, okay, judge. I understand that. So I'm more optimistic, but on the other hand, where I'm less optimistic is, um, I think our nation is so polarized, um, that that's, that's a rough time. 
I'm, I'm more pessimistic about uh, communities of color, confidence in the justice system than I was a decade ago. And uh, I, I know that I did a study this spring uh, in Minnesota on uh, African Americans' perception of the criminal justice system, and it's worse today than it was a decade ago. So there are some, some very difficult things, and that goes back to my retort initially, is I think that the judges in the United States, I think the legal leaders of the United States, have to end up saying that this is the most uh, critical thing that we all need to focus on. And it's easier to end up with, well, let's do, we're going to do technology this year. We're going to do e-filing this year. We're going to do other things. Is no, this is core to the future of the American judiciary is the people need to feel like they were uh, treated fairly. I usually begin presentations in many cases saying by Barbara Jordan once said that what the people want is America as good as its promise. And I think that's what they want of their courts, a court that's fair, effective, and efficient. And it's got to be fair. Judge, good luck with your efforts, and we really appreciate you taking time talking with us. Thank you very much. Today we've talked with trial judge Kevin Burke from Minnesota a leading proponent of procedural fairness in our courts to enhance public perceptions of an often maligned judiciary. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please go to iTunes and rate our podcast or review it. If you have questions or comments about any of our podcasts, you can direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. 